0: Welcome to the For the Church Podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library studio where maintenance was overpowering our audio, (laughs) installing something. There's always something new happening.
1: That's right. Ronnie
0: Kurtz is here with me. He's the assistant director of marketing. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry. One of these days we'll be real boys. Maybe. I'll be a real professor, not an assistant one, and you'll be a real marketing director, not an assistant one. Well
1: actually I, I marketing's not the long term goal, so hopefully okay. it's not that. Right? Okay, hopefully it's not that.
0: So you won't graduate. Yeah, I want like Pinocchio, I wanna be a real a real yeah, boy someday. Of course, yeah. I don't even know what the cutoff is. I'm
1: assistant professor because I don't have a doctorate, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So once that's over, maybe I get
0: I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> you're the you're the academic. I just yeah, work here.
1: Typically institutions have certain things you've gotta get done. To move into an associate an, professorship. An associate, and, yeah, so he was yeah. like assistant to associate. <laughs> this is
0: like being in the church world all over again. That's right. Where it's like someone was assistant pastor, associate yeah. pastor.
1: And then maybe one day you L- can get a full professorship. L- Lieutenant colonel. Yeah, pastor. we'll see. Okay. I believe in you, Jared.
0: Uh, well, thank you. There's one. You, 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 you and my mother. Uh, yeah, but hey, man, we made those maintenance people settle down. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're this is important. Kind. This is super important. That's right.
0: Brother, how have you been doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Doing well. I can't complain. How about seen you? Seen any
1: good movies lately? Tenet. Okay. The only good movie. That's all. Yeah. Right yeah. I saw Tenet. Uh, I've seen it three times now. Oh, my word. Okay. Yep. I've yeah. seen it. I have seen it twice, so okay. I guess it shouldn't be You're right too... there. Yeah. I mean, we it's the only wanna... thing out,
0: so if you want to go see a movie,
1: just go see Tenet <laughs> again. Right. Yeah.
0: That's right. <laughs> oh, I did
1: see David Copperfield. Oh, yeah. Was yeah. it good? Uh yeah, okay. it was it was fine enough. Fine enough. Yeah, that's yeah. The I was thinking about it. I'm so
0: desperate to see a movie in the theater right now. Yeah, I almost
1: bought well. Tickets I, to that. I had just finished the book David Copperfield. Okay, but the movie's not really like that, is it? What's well, the movie? it's Charles Dickens is difficult to make a movie after. Okay. It, I mean, it, it's like a fanciful interpretation. Yeah, of it or and something? it's like a comedy. You okay. know, they did. Um, so it's really colorful. It's really, like, fun. It's really a fast-paced movie. It's like Pride and Prejudice and, and they, Zombies. <laughs> yeah. It like it's that? not quite like that. Okay. Yeah. They they really got the highlights of the book. So if you okay. wanted, like, a full exposition of David Copperfield, you'll be very dissatisfied. Yeah. But if you just want to kind of see the characters in action, you know, it's fine enough.
0: Yeah. And so. Tenet, man, it just... Oh, mean, we could do a whole episode. We might have to do a whole yeah. episode on Tenet. We could. I have dreams of actually starting a movie podcast.
1: I know you've heard me say this. Oh, yes. yeah. You you, you never seem really eager to join me on it. That's no, the I'm thing. here. Here I am. <laughs> I'm just worried. Your movie knowledge goes older than mine. Okay.
0: But, but I mean, that's so. what we could do. We could, like, w- watch the same movie and then discuss it. And I'm that here for that, educate. man. Okay. I'm here. Yeah. Well, that would be good. We might think about that. Okay. I, because I could talk about movies. But we could talk about <laughs> Tenet for a long time. And speaking of fiction, let's go. <laughs> I need to come. This is my template for transition every time, it's isn't amazing. it? Speaking of, I
1: even set you up with David Copperfield. <laughs> that's right. We're talking about fiction.
0: Speaking of storytelling, uh, yeah, let's talk about why fiction matters. Yeah. So we've covered you know this issue a little bit in in the past uh, when we talked about reading. We have a whole episode on on reading, and you and I both l- love fiction. We mm-hmm. think it's important. So I thought, why not dedicate an episode to that? And in, in a little while, we'll talk about my new novel that's coming out as well. But let's begin. Just why why is it important? So first of all, especially when we have a lot of pastors who or ministry leaders who will say things like, "I, I don't read a lot." Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. So when they do read, when they do push themselves or for, you know force themselves, uh, unfortunately, to read, it's going to be something practical or or theological, something devotional which are all important and mm-hmm. necessary as well. We could do whole, you know, whole episodes on those things as well and maybe we will. But certainly fiction is like down the line yeah. because why we think it's frivolous
1: or impractical. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think I think that's for a lot of people. That's it. It's just I have a million things going on in my life. It's easier to watch a movie. Yeah, well if I want to intake some kind of fiction, I'll just watch it, you know. Yeah. Uh, reading fiction is an active posture. You you have to actively consume the media, and in 21st century America, most folks are just not looking for active consumption. Yeah, they're looking for passive. Let the media happen to me, as opposed to you know sitting up and digesting. Okay. So and that's that that's that explains the downfall of reading in general. Yeah. And then you add fiction on top of that, which is even a step in most folks' mind even a step further away removed from my practical day-to-day life, um, which I think is just uh, an utter shame, you know? And Jared, I did not grow up a reader. I think that should be said on this podcast. This is where I think one of the big differences between you and I is, um, I did not grow up wanting to be a writer or a reader of any kind. Mm. And I was really into sports and I wanted to be outside and I wanted to be running. And that, that's all I cared about. And uh, I had a surgery. I had been converted in high school into Christianity. I had a surgery on my shoulder that ended my baseball season. And it was a pretty severe surgery that put me in, basically in a lazy boy chair for two months. Oh, and wow. I asked my pastor, I'm going to be sitting for two months. If you have one or two books I should read, um, send them my way. And what I didn't expect to happen was opening the door to a lifelong love of reading. Yeah. And so those were theological books. Um, but. I mean, it just opened the door to literature in general. I mean, I remember my parents. When they laugh at me when I talk about how much I love reading because we had this little program when I was in elementary school called Accelerated Reader (AR). Okay. Know, some some of our listeners yeah. might know what that is. But we, basically, what that meant is, in public school, you had to read a couple of books and then take a test and get points. And you had to get a certain amount of points every year to to go to the next is grade. This the thing where you get a pizza. Oh no, that that's the Pizza Hut thing. No, oh, that's that, that's else. different. Okay. but Yeah. Maybe that would have incentivized me as a kid. i <laughs> might have read more <laughs> if there was a pizza right. yeah, on the other yeah. But I would literally sit there. My, my parents tell you the story. I would sit there with a book open and pretend to read for 20 minutes. And every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, i got to flip a page. Oh, my word. And I wasn't reading. <laughs> You're and just so, pretending to read. Just pretending so I could like wow. get done and go back to football. You know, I'm not, That's how I was. And so let me just say to the, the listener who might say, I am not a reader you have no excuse. Yeah. You can become a reader. And look, I got convicted early on, the Lord could have revealed his triune glory in any way and he chose literature to do it. And so I resolved early that if that's true then I'm going to be a people of the book and I eventually became a a person of many books. And so I my evolution into being a bookish person was exactly that. It was an evolution. It wasn't I had to find this kind of love. And so yeah. let me just hear let me just say to you, listener, I think you're leaving a lot of joy on the field if you're not reading fiction, yeah.
0: so so why specifically fiction then?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is a great question. <laughs> uh, I, I already love this podcast episode, Jared. Um, <laughs> ok, good. Uh, i I found that to be true about fiction, that you're leaving a lot of joy on the field if you're not reading fiction for a number of reasons. Here's just a few of them. One, um, I found that fiction just made me better at empathizing with other human beings. Okay. I could hear their story. I could feel the gravity of their story. I could, I could see the moving parts of their story. And as a pastor, that's a really good thing to develop. It's just the ability to empathize and to place myself in another person's story. Fiction really allowed me to do that. Um, it also, it helped me just be a better thinker. You know, I can, I can see plot development better. I can see character development better. I can understand the unfolding of a creative argument. Okay. And, man, I'll, I'll tell you, there's very few things more practical in 21st century America than being a, being first, articulate, and second, creative. Uh, those two things have largely gone down the tubes. Uh, and then even even theologically, I, I wrote an article uh, for, for Crudo magazine about why theologians should read fiction. And I used uh, a, number of, a number of folks, a number of good fiction books. I think I used um, I used a bunch of Dickens. I used Alexander Dumas. I used uh, a couple of modern fiction books to argue about how theologians can benefit. And I argued it this way. I said, uh, when we approach the Bible, I think we often, as theologians, approach it in a, in a wrong manner. And I think fiction can fix the manner because if if i hand you a novel if i hand you echo island for example <laughs> okay you're not going to pick up this novel this fiction novel and and jump to chapter 8 right you would never do that because you have a you have a presupposition about what that book is and that book is a unified story going somewhere telling a a particular idea and i think we should do the same with the scriptures we should approach the scriptures as if we can assume it's a unified story with a unified author, of course, diverse authors, but a unified author telling a unified story about a unified man going somewhere. Mm. And the posture we approach fiction with, I think, is a really helpful posture to approach the biblical text with. So those are just a few ways. I mean, we could could go on more there. There's a few ways I think fiction helps us.
0: There's an article recently um, on the Gospel Coalition. Uh, it's a book review, actually. It's a, it's a review of the book The Decline of the yeah, Novel by Karen Joseph Bottom.
1: Karen Swalpaw wrote the review. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and Karen Swalpaw uh, wrote the review. Uh, the title of her review is Why Christians Should Care About the Novel's Decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the book that she is ostensibly reviewing is called The Decline of the Novel by Joseph Bottom. But um, in, in this article, Karen mentions a couple of things. Uh, related to the impact of the decline of reading fiction on evangelicals or upon the church, uh, one of the things is just um, as you kind of alluded to, just in terms of uh, of personal empathy, but also um, cultural savvy, cultural mm-hmm. awareness. Um, certainly, you can read history books and, and and nonfiction books about different you know epochs and eras and and that sort of thing, and and pick up the data, so to speak. But in novels like Dickens, for instance, or 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 others who are very much writing of their times, um, you you get a deeper sense of the humanity um, of those times, and I think it just makes us better-rounded people. That's right. Yep. More well-rounded people. Um, It shapes our imagination for today Mm -hmm. to be able to read fiction from the past, historical fiction from the past. It helps us think in deeper ways Mm -hmm. um, about the present. And then the other thing, too, um, she speaks about fantasy literature in particular. And, of course, the most notable authors there would be Tolkien and Lewis from church history, um, but also folks like George MacDonald and Charles Williams and, to some extent, maybe uh, G.K. Chesterton with some of his stories, uh, but more modern authors like J.K. Rowling and, and, and others. Um she talks about being a, being an enchanted person, the re-enchantment of mm-hmm. humanity right. So she's borrowing from Charles Taylor in a secular age. Um the the dearth of of Christians reading fantasy literature has stunted our ability to perceive the reality of the supernatural. Mm. That that it has some kind of res, re, residual effect. Not that these things are are true stories or or factual, um but they have that that deeper sense of myth to them. Um, so for Lewis, for instance, Lewis, who was a big fan of uh, of George MacDonald, he said reading George MacDonald baptized his imagination, mm. and in a way prepared him for later, re- uh, you know, receiving of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So for Lewis, I mean, all these things the, the the you know classic mythology and romantic literature and you know the writing of George MacDonald and Edmund Spencer's *Fairy Queen*, um, you know, epic poem, all those sorts of things for Lewis were preparing him. Mm-hmm. Um, to be an enchanted person, which meant when he encountered the story of Christianity, um he was better prepared to accept it as 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 historically true, yeah. as as factually true, um because he he had the enchantment of mm, these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think in in our modern you know postmodernist age or w- w- whatever our category is for today, uh, where we're very pragmatic and very materialistic and 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 very, you know, naturalistic, um, w- we've lost that. But the world is really open to it. Mm -hmm. This is what's fascinating to me um, because you have an increased output in the world of supernatural things. You just look at it from the superhero movies to the horror, you know, genre, all the parapsychology stuff. Almost everything that I look at that's coming out new from Amazon, Prime, Netflix, Hulu is some kind of psychic kids or, you know, (laughs) werewolf people or – you know, Dracula stories or yeah. it's some supernatural or fantasy epics, yeah. right? Sword and sandal stuff that takes place in an alternate universe. All of that. Not so in the Christian world. Mm-hmm. But no, 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 no. We're we're the realists and we're the we're the ones who have the facts and um so the world is becoming more spiritual mm. and I feel like the evangelical church is kind of keeping spirituality yeah, that's right. at arm's length. So does, you know, fiction help us yeah, yeah. with these things. I think it does.
1: I uh I, I this is a perfect time for this particular podcast episode, Jared, because you have a fiction book coming out. But one more thing before we turn to, uh, I want to ask you a few questions about that, is I actually just read a collection of essays by Marilyn Robinson, Okay. Yeah. who wrote Gilead. And the collection, she has a couple of collection of essays, which I would highly recommend. One is called The Givenness of Things, which is a very popular one, but um, maybe a less well-known one. She has a collection of essays called When I Was a Child, I Read Books. Okay. And in one of these essays, she talks about the real love you can have for fake people. And <laughs> she, she doesn't necessarily call them fake, but she, she says she uses two examples. She uses one of church history, how you can have a real love of individuals you've never met who mentor you and advise you in spiritual matters, even though you've never met them. And of fiction characters where you can have an actual love for someone who you've never met or, or maybe even doesn't exist. And I have found that, maybe maybe this is silly to you, but I have found that to be really true, where there are books, uh, a recent one we, we've talked about. I, I loved the book, All the Light We Cannot See. And uh, Mary Loire and Werner Fennig are the main, the, the main characters, a, a young French blind girl and a young German boy kind of caught in Hitler youth. And when the book ended, I was not just sad the book ended, but I was sad my relationship with those two ended. Wow. And what I have found myself doing in pastoral ministry and in just normal Christian life where I'm walking through life with people is often someone will say things, you know, they'll say, here's a problem I'm having. And I'll think, oh, I've lived through that. I can, I can help you walk through at least what I experienced. Well, many times someone will say something and I haven't lived it, yet I can experience something like it through the life of these fake people. And so this is why I titled an article about fiction that I've written uh, lessons at the feet of the fake, because I think there's a lot for us to learn about um, so much. Fiction kind of opens the door for yeah. experiences we've never had that we can now as Christians baptize, like Lewis said, and use to administer reality to folks as they come to us for, with need. So anyways, that's enough about kind of uh, f- fiction for in my area. I want to talk about <laughs> Echo Island. I, uh, Listeners, if you don't know, uh, Jared has. Uh, is it not out yet? Is it? It um, by by the time this airs, it, it will be out. Okay, yeah, October twentieth so is out. the official release date. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about it. Uh, I have read the first chapter. Okay. So I am hooked. the The very last okay. sentence of the first chapter. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away, but it it'll get you, readers. Okay. So just prepare yourself, That's Jared. Good. Let me just. Let me just. <laughs> I want to talk about. Um, in a world where Christians have a hard time even justifying reading fiction. It sounds like a movie trailer. In a world <laughs> where Christians even have trouble justifying you reading fiction. You have a better fiction. movie trailer voice than I do. There's a one cop. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, but seriously, in a world yeah. where Christians often have a hard time even justifying reading fiction, why write a fiction book. Yeah. What what happened here?
0: Well, I mean, part of it is is not, well, a lot of it, not just part of it, a lot of it is not a conscious decision, uh, you know, um, of let me try this or <laughs> let me divert from my usual writing to this or any kind of calculated, you know, writing strategy. It's just, I I can't not do it. I love And, that. and my first writing love was storytelling. Yeah. So we were talking about this a little bit um, before, um, you know, off air. Um, you know, I've been reading since I was a little kid and, and loving stories and loving novels and loving particular kinds of stories and was writing cool. stories uh, since I was little, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, all the way through. And when I started trying to write for publication, trying to be a published author, I was a novelist. I wasn't, mm. you know, you know, it certainly was in my mind that I would like to write nonfiction someday. C.S. Lewis is my hero. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, um, and he's someone who can play in multiple mm-hmm. fields. And that's less common today, but it's something I kind of aspire to as well. Um, but I started writing novels and and got my first agent as a novelist. So mm. wrote one novel, got an agent with it, uh, did not get published. It got published later, um, but not, you know, at the time that I was you know first uh, starting out, um wrote a second novel, did not get published, began writing a, this novel, Echo Island. And about halfway through, we uh, you know, ministry life just kind of took over. We planned yeah. you know, we planted a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I didn't really have time to kind of pour into that like I wanted to, so it's kind of been put on hold. But it's this, it's it's the bedrock of me as a writer is, yeah. is storytelling. And even mm. for the last twenty books or so um, of nonfiction, and even my preaching ministry, all of that, um, it's it, it's hard to keep the storyteller down. <laughs> so I I, I I tend to write in imagistic ways yeah. or you know illustrative ways, creative ways. I you know um, the sense of, of of artistry that I attempt whether I you know, pull it off or not, the sense of artistry I attempt is driven from having been a fiction guy. Amen. Um, and that was, you know, something when, you know, I couldn't finish this novel. Fifteen years ago, I started this book, Echo Island. Wow. So it's been a long time coming. And my wife is, ve- you know, was very angry with me for a long time because <laughs> she read half of it and has been waiting 15 years. And you
1: wouldn't, you wouldn't inform her. You wouldn't let her in. No, oh, no, because you Becky, have to I read it. so sorry. This is important to the story
0: and you're only one chapter <laughs> in, but you'll see like the story... This, this story is about a story and okay. it's about, it's about the story in a sense, but it's about story. So it's okay. kind of a meta fiction thing. I love right? to hear that. Um, and yeah, so I can't, you know, I don't want to like tip the hand. I don't want to tell her, but that's one reason why it hasn't let go. Yeah. Right. So mm. there's some things I've started and just, you know, they petered out because there just wasn't something there or, you know, I needed something else to kind of get me going in regards to it. This thing I've been thinking—it's been in my my heart and mind for 15 years, wow. and while other things have taken precedent, and it's it's been sitting there. I've been rewriting it and rewriting it in my brain, figuring out where it's going to go, how it's going to end, all these sorts of things all along. Mm-hmm. So, being able to finally put it together um, and and bring a conclusion to it, write the second half. Um, on one level, I'm really glad because 15 years later, I'm a better writer. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it yeah. just makes sense that you know once you put that much time into the into the craft, you get better. So I can bring more to the story than I could have 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it really is, you know, kindness of the Lord's providence to, um, you know, to have that break there for yeah. me. But yeah, so I mean, why fiction now? Because it, it was fiction in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I was really with the, with the story.
1: Who would you say is some of your biggest, yeah, you said C.S. Lewis already, but yeah. other fiction influences?
0: Yeah, I mean in terms of um in the past, like as a child, the ones that really have fired up my imagination and just got me so Mark Twain would be the other big okay. one and and Edgar Allan Poe, um his short stories. But Twain in particular, like specifically um The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, mm-hmm. which is kind of the unsung, you know, novel of his. Of um, course, yeah. Huck Finn is always ranking up there in terms of the, you know, is it the great American novel, that kind of thing. But Tom Sawyer just uh, the cave, and mm-hmm. um, you know the you know, faking his own death, and uh, the you know the cemetery scenes, and just everything that takes place in that, um, it was so transporting for me, and just firing up my imagination. Yeah, and played on so many different levels. Like he's in love with Becky Thatcher, and I was in love with Becky Thatcher, <laughs> and now I've got my own Becky. Yeah, you did it, man. I married Becky. Um, or you I'm, keep
1: stories from for fifteen years. That's right. That's yeah. right.
0: Um, yeah, so Twain was a big one. And and when I graduated, um, I know when I graduated, but you know eighth grade they do this whole deal like you've graduated junior high, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I had my eighth grade graduation, <laughs> is what I meant to say. Uh, my parents got me the big collected works oh, of, of wow. Mark Twain because awesome. I was such a fan. Um, you know, of of Tom Sawyer, but also his short stories, yeah. The Jumping Frog of Calaveras County yeah. and some of those things. Um, yeah, so those would be some of my influences. That's so cool. But Lewis yeah. is the one; he just of looms over, yeah, of over all of them. So
1: then, what would you say to the question that we talked about earlier of? Just what, what benefit is it to the Christian to take hold of fiction and read? Yeah, so I think in, just in terms of building
0: um, or developing muscles in your brain that other types of writing don't, mm. to be able to comprehend a sense of glory and bigness that is not communicated through raw data That's or good. through the dispensing simply of the facts. So I think even we read the scriptures differently, although they are true and historical and factual, um, I think we're better prepared or better developed to comprehend a sense of the metaphor, the facets of of, of beauty, the the analogies mm. that are there, the images that are there.
1: And isn't that amazing? Yeah. This is amazing. This hearing you say that because it's amazing that the scripture, a true story, is so grand that we need fiction to work the muscles right. to try to comprehend comprehend the grandeur of this particular story. For sure, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sorry well, to interrupt. Keep going. No, no, and, and
0: and I think that's something you know that we we learn from you know C.S. Lewis um, as as well. You just you're preparing yourself to kind of see things in a deeper way, um, yeah. And so, and and also just think like for preachers. So we have a lot of listeners who, of course, who preach and teach. Yeah, um, whether as pastors or ministry leaders or small group leaders, and fiction storytelling um, helps you with an arc. This is something I talk about in my mm. writing class, in particular. Um, is, is having an arc to your sermon that it has a rising action and mm-hmm. then a climax, and then you know the literary term is the denouement. The, you know the French word. You have kind of the falling action after the climax. That's important to a sermon that people are able to track with you, and 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 the climactic moment is it, in particular is some sort of proclamation of the gospel mm-hmm. that you're showing the storyline of the scriptures or the storyline of of that individual text that you're preaching, but you're giving you know, people a sense of the story of life as well. Yeah, that that this is going somewhere, mm-hmm. right? The Lord is telling a story with all of this. We may feel like we're in some endless cycle of history or, or, or something like that, but no, there is an end to this, which will be a new beginning to eternity. I mean, you know, we're in eternity, but there'll be a new beginning with in, in the new heavens and the new earth. But there's there's an arc mm-hmm. to this history, and we may not be able to chart it well, but I think fiction helps us with that sensibility. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. And it's something I try to do in in Echo Island as. Is, you know, as well, is, um, you know, because there's so much in 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 the book that speaks to how we understand reality. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, and I don't want to give anything <laughs> away. Um, but there's other stories that are important to the story. So, okay. so mythology is really important to the story. That's good to know. Um, so names, places, locations, but also just plot devices and things yeah. related to classical mythology is important. Okay. Uh, Dante is really important. Okay. To the story. See, I, I this is great to know. Yeah. As yeah. As a reader. Um. So, like, if you read the book, you may want to just Google certain character names or
1: Google. I literally was going to ask you, yeah. uh, off, off the air, if you chose certain names for certain reasons yeah. because I I know you personally and I, I was I was telling Jared listeners off, off the air that. Normally, our relationship affords me a little bit of foresight into where Jared is going with his nonfiction. <laughs> I, I can say, oh, I've actually heard him tell the story. I know where he's going. But with fiction, I just don't know where this guy's going. So yeah. um, so I was well, interested good. in some of the names that you chose and yeah. um, other aspects.
0: Well, it's, um, it, it was a fun story to write. And, and yes, yeah, so, um, you know, not every, every name, but most of them, including place names as well. Um, if, if you were to put them into Google, this is just kind of an Easter egg here for you if, if you're going to read the book. Um, they have connections outside that, okay. that help inform the understanding of the story itself. That's fun. Um, but then there's also a sense of typology, right? So the story centers around four teenage boys. And the major plot, if you're wondering, we've been talking about the book for a little while, but if you don't know what the storyline is, um, the, the premise of the book is these four boys have just graduated high school. They live on an island off the coast of Washington State.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is Echo Island, and to celebrate their high school graduation, they go camping in the mainland in a state park, um, you know, on the mainland. And when they're done with their weekend celebration, they go back to the island and discover that everyone is gone. So the whole, pl- so it's everyone has vanished, and nothing electronic works. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, the place is really uncommonly still. So there's lots of questions about why isn't there a wind? Why mm-hmm. don't we hear even any animals? So it's mm-hmm. not just people are gone. But we don't hear birds chirping. We don't hear squirrels on on leaves and all these sorts of things. Um, and and so I just want to tip my hand, too, to say it's not the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the rapture. This is actually a point of conversation in the book. Because yeah. I know it's it's because as they're you, trying to figure out the mystery. Yeah, of course. Where did everybody go? Yeah. And that has ties for me and a lot of great <laughs> stories that were influential to me. The Where Did Everybody Go stories, uh-huh. including the, you know, the Twilight Zone episode with yeah. Burgess Meredith. Um, or, or even things like I Am Legend or even some zombie stories, that kind of thing. So, like, where did everybody go? They're trying to solve the mystery. And this is one of the, th- the theories is they know about the left-behind type concept. So you, so you name it. yeah. Oh, for sure. You, you got to own <laughs> You have it. to, yeah. You, you have to own that. And, and so they kind of talk through that very briefly. It's not a yeah. huge point of the book, but someone brings <laughs> it up like, what if that was true or, yeah, that's, yeah. or that's what happened? And they kind of reason through whether that's really what happened or not. Um, And there's you know there's other theories that they come up with, but these four boys really kind of represent four types of characters. And 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 if you split them in half, there's two that are really kind of internal processors, Mm -hmm. internal thinkers. So Jason, who's kind of the main everyman protagonist boy, Um, and then Archer, Mm -hmm. his name is Archer Bacchus. He he's kind of uh, um, the intellectual type. He's the brain of the whole of the whole foursome. But both of them are very much internal thinkers. Um, internal processors. The other two are Bradley and Tim, and they're more external type yeah. figures. So Bradley is kind of the jock, the mm-hmm. jerk. He's very sarcastic. Um, the other wow, ones are constantly like, wondering, like, yeah. why are we friends with this yeah, guy? Because yeah, yeah. he's and and you're supposed to hate him as well. Like you come to hate him. Um, the publisher made me h- make him less hateable.
1: Okay, <laughs> I already hate him. I'm so, only chapter uh, okay, one. Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> like the original version is like, yeah. like you hate this guy.
1: He's making for of oatmeal, like page one. And oh I, yeah, that's. I love him well there's so. a lot of things he
0: makes fun of the other guys too and and the you know bH was like yeah could he be a little nicer I'm like well, that's like not the point of the story but I made him a little bit nicer but yeah so he's a jerk and he's yeah. also uh very aggressive so he acts out in terms of violence he's very forceful mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and then the other um fellow Tim um is is the other external figure and he's kind of a glum um and he's very gluttonous mm. so he's he's very appetite driven so you have these four guys who kind of represent different aspects of, of types and really parts of myself. I kind of put myself in the book, so to speak, um, in that regard. And they're just trying to figure out where did everybody go. And mm. then the mystery deepens from there. So there's two How fun. there's two major plot twists. And I, I'm not going to spoil either one of them. But okay. the first one is one that most astute readers should see coming. Okay, And there's a reason for that. So I'm, I'm acknowledging you're intelligent to pick it up. Yep. And the reason I'm, I'm saying this to you is because as you're picking it up, you're going to be thinking, um, oh, why did he you know, think we wouldn't get this? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm smarter than that, okay. right? So I'm just acknowledging you, you should be able you to pick up the first it. plot twist. But you, sh- you probably but will not one. see the second one coming. <laughs> so I'm telling you that it's there. Okay. Um, but I don't think you'll see it coming. Yeah. But it's one of those that I hope, the way that I constructed the, the story, after it comes out, like the sixth sense, you can go back. And say, oh man, oh, he tipped it here yeah. and he tipped yeah. it there, so it doesn't really come out of out of the blue. Okay, um, there are little clues along the way. So I yeah. hope it, it'll be a fun reread, even. So like, once you get to the end and you see kind of the resolution, you can go back now and enjoy it a second time because there's things you you didn't pick
1: up on that yeah. the, that the ending kind of clarifies That's fun. for you. Well, well, thank you for writing it, and and uh, big ups as well to B and H. I was so happy to hear that a Christian publisher was publishing a fiction book. I just love that.
0: So, if you're interested, reader, um, you can check it out. It's available, of course, wherever uh, Christian books are sold—Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Lifeway, all sorts of places. Uh, I really would appreciate if you'd read it. Let's be a part of a resurgence of fiction reading. Amen. Yeah, Um, because if we don't read good fiction, the bad stuff just, you know, prevails, and um, we can be a part of reforming that, so to speak. So, thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoy the podcast. Please give us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.